Thank you. Please be seated. Y'all are so obedient. That's just hard to even say, isn't it? Looking out at this group. Well, this past Thursday, an article by Judy Keene appeared in the USA Today. You may have seen this. It it appeared in the uh, Shreveport Times. And the title of it is, Shakeout Prepares 3 Million for Earthquakes. It stated that about 3 million people were expected to participate in a major multi-state earthquake drill in preparation for the inevitable uh, major earthquakes to come around Memphis and southeast Missouri and several other states, uh, preparing for this in the future. It stated that at 10.15 on the day of the drill, they are supposed to drop to their hands and knees, cover their heads and necks, and hold on to a sturdy object for two minutes to practice the appropriate reactions to a quake. Sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? It's good to know what an earthquake does and and what to do when it happens. In fact, preparation is everything. And we know from the uh, tornadoes this past week, they had very little time to take cover. Uh, But they they say that because of the preparation that had been done in schools and in homes and businesses, that at least uh, they were able to take cover as as soon as they could before the uh, tornadoes came and, and ripped through their communities. We have heard from John's Gospel today, uh, and this was excellent by the youth. Thank you, Karen, for putting all that together, and uh, you guys did a wonderful job of reading this portion of Scripture that we have here today. But what we've heard from John's Gospel could really be the FEMA equivalent of the Easter quake of long ago. John provides a reminder to his readers of the, the mighty force of Easter and of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and of the aftershocks that would take place after this. And we are going to continue to look at those aftershocks in weeks ahead. But of also what to do when it happens. As we hear this gospel story, we begin to enter into it, and we begin to understand what the disciples were doing and what was going on in their lives. And it helps us to understand how we're to respond to it as well as we find ourselves in this place today. His description of it is in narrative form as he described the lives of the people who experienced the real shakeout. And this shakeout is far different from an earthquake in that it continues to rumble. It continues to disrupt lives. And really, this continues to go on until the end of time, until Jesus comes back. Our text today puts us with the disciples in a room that is is really not that far in distance from the empty tomb. Yet it is as far away as they possibly can get from the empty tomb and from all of what was going on, all of the, the chaos that was happening around the tomb as Jesus had been discovered or as the empty tomb had been discovered. And so they are seeking escape from the religious leaders in their community who are seeking them out. They are trying to find all of these people who have been followers of Jesus. They're still concerned about uh, this movement of Jesus continuing on that maybe the crucifixion wasn't enough. Let's go find all of the followers and, and let's make sure that they stay quiet about the things that Jesus continued to talk about. And so all of this is going on and they are, they are seeking uh, solace from the absolute horror that they've just seen and the brutality of the crucifixion. Of this, their friend. And you can just imagine being there and seeing Jesus hung upon the cross. Jesus being mocked and Jesus taking His last breath upon the cross. 
These images are in their minds. And they can't seem to get them out of their minds. And so they run. They try to find a place that is distant and far away. And this room was at least some attempt at escaping from their grief and their fears. And yet this room was filled with everything that they were running from. As they were finding this to be so, in walked Jesus, past the locked doors and standing right in their very midst. As Jesus walked in among them, and the different translations put this in different ways, but I think the best translation is in their midst, or walked in among them. But John gives us the idea that it took more than an entrance for them to get the full effect, to truly know who it was that was in their midst. And so Jesus speaks into their room with the simple yet most powerful words, Peace be with you. There was obviously no peace with them in that room. None at all until He walked in. Peace was now with them. Just as Jesus had been saying to them, they would not be left alone. They would not be left without perfect peace. And it was standing right in their very midst. In the midst of their fears, in the midst of their locked doors, their anger, their anguish, and their disappointments. In the midst of it all, Jesus brought His perfect peace. It's really not so hard for us to understand the situation of the disciples in that room. For we all have our own rooms, don't we? Don't you have your room? That place that you go to get away from everything and all the emotions and the struggles of your life? Whether they are wrapped in bricks and mortar or just deep down inside of the stuff of our souls. We have these places that we go to get away from it all. We run to these places and the doors because we don't know where else to go. The anxiety, the fear, the grief, the absolute chaos take such hold of us that we seek solace. Maybe that's a description of where you are today. Maybe church is a kind of room for you. Or maybe there's some other way that you go and you try to find solace in your life. But like the disciples, even as we run to our places, we find that we are still shaking with all that was shaking us outside of those locked doors. It all shakes us until we discover who it is that has walked into our midst. And it all shakes and disrupts us negatively until we hear those same words from this resurrected mouth that the disciples heard in that room. Peace be with you. As you think about that room you find yourself in today, or maybe just this last week you found yourself in that room quite a bit, or maybe it's one that you'll be in again in days ahead, are you discovering Jesus and His peace in your midst? I mean, are you really finding it? Are you discovering the presence of Christ with you? Have you seen Him there with you? We can get so caught up in the emotions of the day or the hour that it takes some repetition from Jesus for us to realize who it is and who it is that walked into our midst. If you look here and you count how many times Jesus says, peace be with you, it's quite a few times. And Jesus keeps speaking into the midst of our lives. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Yes, Lord, 
you come to say, peace is with me. Or at least hopefully, you come to say that as you recognize the peaceful presence of Christ in your life. And this is what the disciples, no doubt, soon to began, to, began to say to themselves and to each other. And the volume of their voices would increase with their realization of it in their lives. It happened as they experienced this peace who was walking and who was now talking in their midst. It happened for those in the room as Jesus would follow His words by showing them the reasons for peace in their lives. By showing them, these who would one day also become instruments of peace, He showed them the true instruments of peace. His hands and His side. And what they saw was such a powerful display of reality that they moved quickly from minor key emotions to bursting out in a hallelujah chorus of joy. And if we'd worked that out, Dan, you could have played underneath that. I know he would have loved to have done that. And though it required a bit more hands-on approach, the same thing happened in the life of Thomas. What does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. It is true. You are everything that you ever said that you were. And I, with my hands, I have found it to be true. And then there was their experience of it shaking out in their lives in the the deepest, most lasting sense as Jesus would breathe His most fresh and new kind of breath upon them, giving them the continued source of peace for them, the Holy Spirit. This was their experience. And what an experience it was. As we sit here today, we could easily set all this aside with the thought that We are thousands of years from this experience, that this happened long ago, and sure, we recognize it with cloth and colors and beautiful songs and all of that, but it's so far away from us, we can't really experience this. The tendency would be to think that we can't feel the shakes and the quakes of the Easter resurrection in the way that they did. We can't see the hands and the side of Jesus. We can't be so fortunate to have hands like Thomas, those that actually touched the literal scars of Jesus. But what a mistake it would be for us to think it doesn't have as much to do with us as it had to do with them. Or to conclude that it's something that we'll learn about after we die. And that's something I find to be a popular thought among us as Christians today. Well, the resurrection is great, but I just can't even begin to understand it right now. Or, the resurrection has nothing to do with life on earth. The resurrection has everything to do when I take my last breath in this world, I'll be in the glory of God in heaven. And that's true. But let me tell you, the resurrection has everything, everything to do with your life in this world and before you take your last breath in heaven. In fact, I would say that your your last breath in this world, will be so much more glorious if you learn to live out the resurrection in this world. And so, it is something for us to experience. And Jesus has a few words for those who think that it has nothing to do with us now. He said, Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet who have come to believe. These words were spoken to Thomas, but they were really meant for us. Jesus is talking to us. Jesus has us in His mind as He says, Blessed are those who don't get to touch my hands and my scars, but who come to believe anyway. And we find ourselves in that group here this morning, don't we? 
I mean, isn't that why we say He is risen and He is risen indeed? Because we have come to believe. We are those who have not seen, but who believe. We can believe because we can discover not only the, the peace of Jesus in the midst of our lives, we too can experience the, the fresh, the permanent, and the assuring Spirit that He breathes upon us. We don't have to see the literal hands inside, for we have seen the reverberating effects of those wounds making contact with the world ever since He showed them. And we have known and enjoyed those effects in our lives. Haven't we? Haven't you? They are the deep and lasting waves of grace and new life that roll upon it and us and through us into the lives of other people as we follow Jesus. This right here, this is the real shakeout. Jesus moving His power of resurrection through our lives into the people around us. In the article I mentioned earlier, Craig Fugate, administrator of FEMA, said that the earthquake in Japan reminds us of just how powerful Mother Nature can be. And we have seen that again in light of the tornadoes that passed through after this article was written. But he says, and, and that some Midwest residents don't know their region's quake history and might not even know how to respond. Might not know how to respond. John has reminded us here today of how powerful the resurrection force of Easter is and what a real shakeout looks like. And He has given us a great glimpse of how it is that we are to respond. It sounds a lot like the instructions that were given in this article. That we are supposed to drop to our hands and knees, to cover our heads and necks, and to hold on to a sturdy object until it's gone. A sturdy object like Jesus. I wonder this morning, in the midst of the chaos and the grief and the anguish and the challenges of daily living in your life, have you found Jesus and His peace in your midst? And how have you responded? Let's pray.